Hello and welcome to the Music Students Survival Guide. I'm your host, Caleb Wilson, and this is the podcast where we discuss how real-life musicians can pay their rent doing the thing they love. We aim to cut the fluff and dig down to what's working now. So today I have a special guest, Kathleen Wolfish, and she's with us today <laughs> to discuss many different things. Now, Kathleen was originally a cellist, a freelance cellist that went on to start up. Well, you'll hear what she started up about. How are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks, Caleb. It's really nice to be here and uh, chat to you face to face for once. Yeah, <laughs> as well. this is it. yeah. it's good. Yeah. So we've actually met in person before and we've done various bits of work together, which mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll end up talking about as we do. But what, mm-hmm. how would you describe what you do now? Tell us a bit more about what you are doing now. Yeah. So, um, as Caleb said, so I started off as a freelance cellist, um, but at the moment, I'm like everyone else, I'm not doing so much performing, but that's been the case for me for quite a while because I started up an agency called Music and Vision. And Music and Vision is um, an agency that um, provides musicians for on-camera roles. So I actually connect up with production companies to make sure that they get the faces that they need, but also the people that have got real skills instead of actors or extras for the background of their scenes. So if you see someone on camera um, in the TV series or or film playing an instrument or singing, um, even miming, um, it might be that I've cast that, that role. Um, and so and people get a context, get a better idea of, you know, when mm. you say on-camera musicians or but yeah. on-camera, on-camera roles. Give us some, just some of the people you've worked with. Mm. Um, so do you mean in terms of musicians or, or in productions? In terms of companies, productions. Yeah, productions. So, so I've worked for companies like Disney. I've worked for, um, so if, if I just give you an idea of the, the sort of titles that I've worked yeah, on. Yeah. So um, the past year, I've worked on a production called The Great that's just come out on Hulu that starred Elle Fanning and Nicholas Hoult. That was a really fun one because we did a lot of actor coaching for that as well as providing the musicians. Um, I've also worked for, there's there's a film coming out called Blythe Spirit, um, Mm -hmm. where we provided a small orchestra. Um, There was Downton Abbey, we we had an orchestra for that. A um, couple of Disney films, um, Maleficent 2 and Dumbo and yeah, various other um, series and films. It's, it's, um, it's always, always varied and it's really you interesting. You a Skoda advert, if I remember Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that was, a, that, that was one last year as well for Skoda. And um, for me, it's a really interesting mixture because... What you're trying to do for these companies is obviously the visual aspect is really important for them. So you're trying to match up the really fantastic musical talent, but also get the casting brief that they that they want. So you yeah. you make sure that you they've got the face or the personality that they want as well. And now we actually worked together on that, and you were actually going to yes. put me forward for um, 
something with Vidra Selva, but I actually got referred through one of my other con- contacts that's as well. Right. The yes, film. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. So that was, um, yeah, it, it's it's really interesting because the, one of the reasons that I set up the company was that um, a lot of the time production companies, they'll go to different sources because everything happens really quickly in terms of casting extras. Yeah. And they'll go to different sources because they need to get it sorted out and sorted out fast. And what I realised from doing some background work myself as a cellist was that um, people were often, they were going and getting their mates in or saying, oh, my friend knows someone that plays the piano. And actually, I realised there was no, nobody with an online presence that had an agency that had casting software, the ability to... um, send over lookbooks really easily uh, you know I've got a, a large database now and yeah. what musicians can do is sign up they can put their photos there they can put measurements the instruments that they play and all sorts of other things that can help when you're casting a role how can people and, look into into that now get involved in your database I'll remember to put sure. pot dips this in the show notes yeah that's no problem so if you go to my website um uh, musicinvision.com and then you go to the page it's either contact us or get in touch you can then um just look on that page and it's got a, a bit either for you to sign in or for you to register and there's full details when you click on that of exactly what we're looking for in terms of um, you know what we need from photographs because we need things like recent photographs there's yeah. no point in having an amazing publicity photo if we don't know what you actually look like um, so you know loads of people have grown beards over lockdown and stuff yeah, and yeah. Um, we, we need to know you know what you look like in the past month basically so yeah so that's how you can sign up it's it's really really straightforward and um, we basically accept anyone that's working professionally as a musician um, and because the database is so large now, you know, I don't ask for, example, um, you know, your website details. And I'll, I'll often check people out. Yeah. But um, generally, you know, I um, will, if I'm casting someone, I'll, I'll check out what they do. But generally, you know, you can just sign up um, and uh, it's, it's not going to be the case that I'm going to be asking for your cv or something so yeah this is it now what for for people who maybe have never had experience even in the kind of working as an extra in a film as a musician Mm. you know what 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 does that type of work look like what can they expect what sort of pay Mm. can they expect from getting involved in that yeah absolutely so another reason that i set up the company was that I wanted musicians to really be paid properly for the kind of work that they were doing on set because there are specific rates for extras but a lot of people don't realise and this uh, this includes producers and production teams they don't realise that there's actually in the UK a specific agreement between PACT and um, which is a production alliance and the musicians union mm-hmm. so when you're miming or recording something for a film even if it's on camera you have to get paid this certain rate and I always make sure that my musicians are paid above that rate that my commission doesn't affect that rate 
and um, so there you're definitely going to come away with more than you would if you were say working on a a daily rate for a freelance orchestral performance yeah so um from that point of view i think that's really important because sometimes you see castings out there and you think no that's not enough for a specialized role mm -hmm. so that's something that we always do at music and vision and the other thing is yeah just in general i mean i find it really fascinating going on to a film or tv set i think most people would um, there are there are pros and cons to it. So you're probably going to be doing a lot of waiting around. I think. Yeah, as you know, this is my world now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is the thing. You you are um, totally into that, and you you know how it all works. And I think, you know, I I try and prepare people for what that's going to be like. So if you go in there thinking, okay, I'm going to be able to um, just rock up and and uh, it's it's going to be like being, you know, one of the lead actors. Um, it's it's not like that at all. So there's a real hierarchy on a film set that you need to be aware of. Yeah. And um, it's really really important to not be in the way at any point. Um, you have to also realise that a lot of the time there might be you might all not always be all that all that comfortable on a set. So for example. If you're in a massive costume, it's usually really hot on a set with lots of lights. And mm -hmm. I did one last year where they had, it was set in Russia in the 1700s. And so they had all these fireplaces and it was at the, the beginning of the shoot, it was actually in the summer. Yeah. And these poor guys, <laughs> yeah. were, they were absolutely roasting in the costumes. And, um, you know, but you just when when you're professional, you just kind of get on and do it. But Comes I think with the territory. it really does. Um, so there's a lot of waiting around. You might wait around for an entire day until you have to shoot. You might also find that you've spent all this time, like even a couple of days on set, and then you get cuts. You might not even be seen in the, yeah. in the final yeah. in the final cuts. So I I mean I've had that experience myself. You know, sort Me of thinking, too. oh I can't wait to see that, and then you're like. Oh, they didn't even use that entire scene. But so, important um, to note is you still got paid. You still get paid. Yeah, exactly. You you go there, you have a really interesting experience. The way that film set works is absolutely fascinating. It's a, an enormous machine where everyone has a really important individual job, but you've got to be able to all just come together and do that. And I think that most professional musicians really get that because if you work in a band or ensemble or an orchestra, a lot of the time you're working with people that you don't necessarily play with all the time and you have to just go be able to go and do it. So, yeah, I think um, probably one of the biggest difference, differences between, say, more live gig world and the filming world is, yeah, you do have to be able to turn it on like that and yeah. you really don't want to be the person that makes everyone have to film that scene again. Yeah, exactly. And that's another really important thing because if you think about um, the t time is really money in the film world and um, you need to make sure that if you're doing something very particular you have to keep doing it the same way again and again and um, you know not be in the way of dialogue not be making a noise even that that's another tricky thing particularly with string instruments if you're miming um, you know we do things like we wipe all the rosin off the bow and you have to really make sure that you're not doing anything over 
over that dialogue if you're being yep. required to mine at that particular point. So, um, yeah, so it's 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 a very interesting day day out, <laughs> although yeah. it's totally different. So, um, so, I think that's probably a lot of good context so far for anyone that's interested in getting involved in kind of that extra work as musicians. Now, it is something that is not like. As, as you know, with like gigging and everything else like that anyway, there's no guarantee of when you're going to get the call for something or when it's going to gonna happen. Mm -hmm. But it's another thing you can add to your roster mm -hmm. of things, your sources of income that you can do, yeah. you know, just being registered and accepting that. You never know when that call is going to come through. And obviously yeah. these prices do vary massively. It could be a couple hundred and it could be a few grand. Yeah, it can be in terms of, I think for film work, it's often lower than say if you were going to do an advert, because adverts often have um, larger buyouts. Yeah. Um, but I have to say there are cases where, so for example, sometimes, I mean, Music and Vision also offers full music supervision services. And there, there have been a couple of occasions recently where we've had to um, the, the on-camera musicians that have appeared, we've then synced one of their original tracks into a series. So, for example, we did that on Killing Eve. So recently. that would have been a nice um, contract so, so for them. That, so that was, that was a bit better um, than the normal. But, um, yeah, generally, uh, the, the work that you do in, in film, I find that it's, it's lower than if you've been appearing in an ad. Yeah. Um, so their, their budgets are just higher um, so yeah so it, it, it does vary a lot but yes it's absolutely what I say about music and vision is I've always made it totally free for you to sign up to the database so um, there's yeah there's there's no cost involved so it's you're as well signing up because again, as you say you never know when when you might be needed it's not it's not regular work but but it does come up so um yeah so it's totally worth it yeah everyone i know that's been involved in it you know when when the right opportunity comes up that happens to fit in your schedule it's always a great bonus to have mm -hmm. you know it's a, yeah there's, it's one of those things where if you're not signed up to something like this it, mm -hmm. it would be silly not to give yourself the chance yeah yeah exactly it's um yeah it's it's one of the reasons why I never understand where I, I do understand why people have an aversion to social media, but I meet musicians that, for example, they don't have a website or they don't sort of advertise their services online or, you know, they, they don't do any social media. And I think, well, you're really limiting the opportunities to get found because that's where people go when they want to purchase something nowadays. You know, that's it's you're actively limiting your options for being um, discovered or, or, you know, uh, booked. So, yeah. yeah, this is it. Yeah. So we've spoken about the extra sides of things now. Now, mm -hmm. how did you go from being a freelance cellist to booking musicians for the likes of Disney amongst many others? That's quite yeah. a, um, not only a big jump, but quite, uh, even though it is still music related, it's quite a, a sidestep, you know? 
not something yeah. that everyone would think of getting into or even have the skill set to arrange and end up working with such mm. you know, well-established companies yeah so I, I think for me I suppose the first thing is that it's always been really important for me to feel like I'm in control of my the the work that I do and I think mm. for and and in control of the goals that I have as well, personally and career-wise. And I think for a number of years as a cellist, I didn't feel that. And, and it wasn't, um, it ended up not being very healthy for me. Um, yeah. So I was doing lots and lots of auditions and doing the whole freelance career thing where you, I was freelancing in London um, in the early music world. And it's very, very competitive. And uh, so I'd, I'd come down from, I'd, I did my undergraduate at what's now the Royal Conservat Conservatory of Scotland. Mm -hmm. Then I did my master's at the Royal Academy of Music in London. So I came down to London, I'd been freelancing for a few years. And then um, I suppose the big change for me was that I had my first child in 2014. And I realised that with two freelance musician parents, it's very difficult for you to both be away at the same time and yeah. it wasn't necessarily what I wanted for our kids so um, I'd been thinking so there was two things really I'm not feeling like I'm getting as much out of this as I had hoped in terms of uh, just just the whole working environment I'd, I'd achieved a lot of the things that I'd wanted to achieve but I wasn't enjoying the working environment so much mm. in terms of um, I've got great colleagues that are friends as well, and I was loving the playing, but just the the sort of I felt like I was auditioning every day. So in the in the freelance world, I was finding that I wasn't enjoying that uh, uh, as much as I I felt like I should have been. You know, the, there's the expectation there, and uh, I wanted to start up something that was mine that I could grow. Yeah. So I started um, having a think about, you know, tentatively, what, what could I do? And then, um, funnily enough, I, I, I did a bit of background work for a Burberry commercial. Um, and I realised that the way that they were booking the musicians, it's going right back to what I was saying, you know, it was through a friend of a friend. And then yeah. I ended up organising quite a bit of that. And through doing things like having to submit photos of the musicians and... Uh, just uh, photos of the instruments and that kind of thing. I thought, well, wait a minute, is nobody doing this as a as a business? And when I researched it, they weren't. So um, I thought, and uh, you know, obviously there there might be a good reason for that. I mean, <laughs> perhaps it's because there's there wasn't enough of the work around. But um, thankfully, I found that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. um, but when I started researching it, I just, I was then able to go, right, I'm, I, I, I started the process and then kept going, going, going. So I think I had about a 10 month period where I built the website, started advertising, started making all the production contacts that I needed to as well. Because as you were saying, you know, it's a big sidestep. I don't, I didn't know anyone in production. I didn't know even how it yeah. worked. So it was a big process of, uh, you know, re research, which I really enjoy coming from an early music background. And 
after that, um, I think another extras agency actually passed my details on to Disney for Dumbo because they, they needed a band for that. So, so that was when you get that first credit, I think that really helps. Um, yeah, and that's, that's a great credit to put, to put on it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was a really nice one. And I learned a huge amount from that. You know, I probably made some mistakes in, you know, just various things on that. And uh, nothing that affected the production or affected, um, you know, the, it's just all a, a learning curve. And um, so that, that was really interesting. And yeah, it's, I think what that first uh, bit of work in, in your new venture allows you to do is to, to refine your processes and mm -hmm. go, well, I would do that differently next time or I would, uh, next time I'm going to do it this way, this is the process that we're going to use. So that was really, really interesting. And uh, yeah, so that, that was how I got into it really. And I suppose it did all kind of just fall into place. But I always do say to people, if you're starting a new venture, you know, take that time to research. Don't imagine that it's going to just happen in, within a month or something. Um, you've got to give yourself time to kind of think about what is the kind of mission of my brand and what's the... Uh, how, how am I going to define that for people? What's the easiest way that I can define it for people to get them to buy into it? So, um, yeah, so that's that's how that all came together, really. That's great. <laughs> I had a light switch off then. Um, no, that's okay. <laughs> that, yeah, so it was, it was very much kind of, I guess, being open to the possibilities and I think there's two key things in there that maybe we should have a conversation on one mm -hmm. you know pretty much so you and I we've both done various bits of work involving tv and film and mm -hmm. it seems that basically everyone other than musicians has an agent mm -hmm. and yeah <laughs> I just wondered wondered what your thoughts thoughts are on that in general whether you think mm -hmm. there's a particular reason for that, kind of like you were saying when you were starting up the mm. the agency for TV and film, you know, was there a reason mm. that this doesn't happen? And mm -hmm. do you think there's space for something like that in the general musician world in general? Because if you mm. speak to actors, <laughs> it, mm -hmm. like no actors don't have an agent. Everyone's yeah. got an agent. And of course, mm -hmm there's more we can do by ourselves as freelance musicians mm -hmm. but you know do you see a space for musicians to have agents and perhaps for go-getters to set up something similar perhaps for you know agents helping musicians get work so yeah I think that's a really interesting point and I think the reason that it's not done more or it's not done at all is because of the um the price point of so if you're a freelance musician if we're thinking about what you earn on a typical day or you or for a typical gig then you're thinking about handing over 20 percent of that to an agent um one the musician doesn't want to do it and two the the agent is going to be doing an awful lot of work or a bit of money. For, for, mm -hmm. for that little bit of money so 
um, I think the case with actors and um, singers, so opera singers, so I'm just thinking about the classical music yeah. world, they've got agents, but it's often that they will have longer contracts on a particular Yeah, role. so that kind of thing is like, if you're doing a show, usually you're booked on for, say, six months or, or more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It can be a and and also if depending on the venue and the artist, the caliber of the artist, they can be commanding um, much higher um, fees. So so that makes more sense from an agency point of view. But I do have my my take on that really though is that what I find interesting is so I never ever set out to be an artist manager. Yeah. So. Um, I don't want to, I, I think that anyone that w does want to set out to be an artist manager, you have to realise how much work it is and sort of think about, is that going to be worth the time and the money? Um, what I see a lot of is now with, and I'm thinking about it particularly with COVID, I was chatting to someone about this the other day, when I think about a lot of these, particularly the big classical music agencies, um, and I'm just speaking on that because that's my background yeah yeah i mean one of them had to shut down at the beginning of uh lockdown in the uk one of the big uk agencies which is absolutely dreadful for the staff and the um singers involved mm -hmm. so I'm, and uh, a lot of them i feel like their overheads must be absolutely enormous and once you start getting to that point and i don't want to name any agencies are yeah, in particular yeah. or sort of do anyone down because it yeah. is an amazing business to have built if you're doing that and you've got an enormous office in central london and you've got a few big names and they're big bringing on in all the money you're thinking well who is it serving you know you've got yeah commercial anyone who's got commercial real estate right now especially in london it's mm. a tough situation it really is and you think, well, okay, I know that they employ a lot of people, and uh, but I think the way forward is to keep it smaller and keep these, then keep these overheads smaller. You know, do you really, do you really need an office? Everyone can do. Um, for example, I'm in Berlin now. I'm doing all my production work remotely unless I'm required to be on set. Um, how can we make it a fairer de deal for the artists? Yeah, so, and you know what? Yeah, I think um, this, mm. if there's any good that can come out of the COVID situation, it's that uh, mm. remote working is now is a lot more normal. It's it's been tested mm. like it's now been tested mm. on a national, if not international, level yeah, that actually yeah. companies can operate and still make their sales and get work done working yeah. remotely. So there's probably going to be a lot more of this moving forwards, even after COVID. I hope so. I, I really hope so, because then it, it opens up so many more possibilities for everybody. And um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's, that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, maybe there is a space for um, musicians to have. I mean, there's always been things like diary service, which I personally feel is getting a bit outdated because that's all done over the phone. Um, and so it's a sort of an answering service for, um, for, you know, for musicians. And they can say, well, I've got such and such dates free and 
if an orchestra phones up and says, well, we need a violinist for this date, they go through their pool. And But I think, you know, it has to be done through databases and um, yeah. really uh, proper software. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that they do have good software and good databases, but it does feel slightly outdated to me. That There is a... Um, a company that I'm not sure probably a lot of your listeners know about um, a company called Encore and that is a site where you can book um, people that are working in events or if they're having a wedding or they're, they're planning some kind of event they can go onto Encore and they can choose from hundreds of musicians and they can book them directly through that site and everyone has a profile with Encore and mm -hmm. that's not something that Music and Vision's trying to compete with because ours is all closed. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they take a commission for that, obviously. Um, is it, does it work well for musicians? I'm sure it does work well for some of them if they're getting regular bookings through that. Um, it's just a different business model. You know, for, for me, again, they're having tough physical premises once you yeah. have that then you, you know they've had to develop tech to be able to do that once you do that you've got to have a lot of investment you've got to have um then you've got staff you've got to be then because you haven't have a lot of musicians on board then it's harder to regulate who's signing up who isn't uh who sorry who who is um a not quite as professional as you maybe want yeah yeah it's much harder to regulate so there's there's so many different business models out there and i think that anyone that was thinking about setting up an agency they need to really consider all of that before um mm -hmm. before they they got into it um so but that that's my take on why there's not really um anyone out there doing that for musicians at the moment um, yeah and um, I suppose we want to sort of empower musicians to be able to do as much for themselves anyway. Um, that's it. And that's, that's yeah. really what, what, what this is about, kind of yeah. having people see new ideas, new ways that other people have done it, but also yeah. maybe inspire something that some one person is going to go, actually, you know, I could do something mm -hmm. like that. I could move mm -hmm. forward with this. Now, mm -hmm you've obviously had a unique experience and you've been mm. offering your coaching services to freelance musicians and creatives. Mm. Um, what, what sort of stuff is it that you're, you're helping them with and what sort of advice would you give to say a musician or artist that recognizes they need mm -hmm. to start earning outside of just playing live, especially now because playing live is yeah. not really happening yeah yeah exactly and yeah i suppose i want to start by saying that um i really acknowledge how difficult a time it's been for everyone it's been very challenging um myself and my husband who's a freelance musician um we were in exactly the same boat as you listeners because um the production world went away any gigs that i had went away any gigs that Simon had went away and um, we actually ended up making the decision to move to Berlin off the back of it and uh, to, to just have be hopeful about the opportunities that were, that were happening in mm -hmm. Germany and um, so I think anyone that's 
looking to to get into um, you know just thinking about different income streams thinking about perhaps setting up a business during lockdown um, what I would say is that you yeah it's, it's definitely good to be um, thinking ahead and I would from my perspective I think you need to do a lot of research around the um, the topic as, as I said before so you need to do a lot of research before you actually go out there and um, and start offering your services I think you can jump in too quickly sometimes mm. and um, what I would also say is that I from, from my point of view so I offer consultancy based on what I have learned as a freelance musician then going on to run a business and um, yeah. I always tell people you know I'm not a life coach I'm not I don't have coaching qualifications but I can help you with um, all sorts of things to do with um, the perspective of being a freelance musician and a business owner so structuring a business setting up from from the very basics from the very beginning to actually have something um, where you've got yeah. pro products that you can sell to an audience um, I can help you with branding I can help you with setting up processes websites um, any kind of uh, you know set making sure that you've got process in place to sell your products um, getting content on social media there's there's a whole lot of things to consider and um, yeah, I think so. I think it's important always to kind of differentiate. I can't make, I can't advise you financially, um, uh, although I can point you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can show you what I've done, um, how to make a financial plan, but I can't say, you know, you should do this or invest in this. Um, so it's all, it's all from my perspective, really, of um, someone that is a musician that can then help you to do something similar um, with a business idea. So I think the research thing is really, really important. So I had a case last week where um, I realised that someone had been using almost the same name as the musician method. And right. so I had to um, make sure that that, was, um, that that all got sorted out very easily, actually, which was totally fine. But it just it sort of made me think, well, it's actually a really good thing to illustrate how even something that you think might be quite straightforward, like, okay, what am I going to call the business? That's usually one of the initial things you think of. Um, you need to do the research before you yeah. mm -hmm. um, officially put it all out there because otherwise you're going to have to backtrack. So how did you sort that you. out? Um, well, I sorted that out by just uh, approaching the person di directly and, um, you know, we've, um, the, the name's now trademarked, so um, I think it's just really important to set up these things so that you're secure. And, yeah. um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty straightforward to go in and, and do a lot of research around what your name for your business is going to be. And when be. you've got that legal protection as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, just looking up on Companies House in the first instance even, um, that's, that's very straightforward and free. Um, and yeah, just doing a bit of the market research as well. It could be that you have a physical product or merchandise, or um, it might be that you are just, you know, you're doing an album, album launch, or there's another type of service that you want to provide. 
mm-hmm. um, which is not necessarily related to, to music. So you need to know all about that market, who are your sort of allies within that market, who are your competitors, um, who can you collaborate with. There's just so much to consider at the beginning. And um, what I try and do is people say, well, look, I've thought of the things that you didn't know you needed to think of because I've been there, I've done it, I've made the the mistakes, I've had all the challenging situations, I know the things that I've perhaps forgotten to do, that kind of thing. So it's kind of done, it's like a done for you guide, basically. Um, So, and, and that's really valuable. And it's from the perspective of the musician. So I know what your skill set is, what you've got to to bring to the table for your new business venture. This is it. Yeah. yeah. That's great. So, yeah. <laughs> that is great. Um, I'm just trying to think, would there be any, maybe, maybe one or common mistakes maybe you see or easy or quicker fixes you see whether it's things physical things people are doing or or mindset mm. from people actually looking to start to go outside of the regular job and actually start mm. they've come up with an idea say and they're looking to put it into action obviously you said you said research what what sort of things are people likely to miss out forget about maybe mm. overlook if anything, mm-hmm. and obviously every situation is unique, but if there was mm-hmm. anything off the top of your head, maybe. Yeah, well, definitely off the top of my head, I, I think that one of the most common mistakes is not defining your audience. I like quick, that. Quickly enough, or or um, when I say quickly enough, I don't mean that you have to do that quickly, but if if you're, you need to do it early on, yeah and you need to know who you're selling to who's your customer base what do they what problem are you solving for them because then once you know that it informs everything to do with your branding like everything else comes easier at that point exactly your website what's the customer experience going to be like whether that's buying tickets from you for a concert you're doing online whether it's uh buying a physical product how do they is it easy for them to see what choice they have is it an easy payment process um who yeah who who are you selling to who do you want to get in touch with build to build up your email list who are you going to be targeting on social media um to build up that community because when when you're an artist in particular you need to build up that community of people that support you and want to see you do well and then will will go on to to actually buy your product or your your um your album or what whatever it is that you're you're ultimately selling um because as you say you know we've all got to be able to pay our rent but the mistake i see is that people will kind of go i've got this idea and um it's all a bit kind of hit or miss at the beginning. They keep trying mm. different things out, but then it's not, they, they don't know who they're yeah, actually, and I think it's not defined. One thing we see a lot is um, 
especially when it comes to ads as well. But the the mm. issue is that it was never clear to begin with. It's um, mm. we'll say like, oh, I'm targeting people who like R and B, and to those people who do that, that might sound specific, but it's really not specific at all. You maybe mm. we you got to think, you know, how how old are they? You know, yeah. are they are yeah. they do they favour more? Is your audience more one gender than another? You know, yeah. And this yeah. this is all stuff that comes into play for advertising. So and the copy, yeah. the copy being the words that you actually use mm. to sell. So knowing mm-hmm. your audience, you know, who are they? What? How old are they? You know, what stage of life mm-hmm. are they at? Are they mm-hmm. higher income earners? Are they lower income earners? Do they yeah. like particular mm-hmm authors what do they do in their free time where mm. where do they go the more of these bits of information you can find out yeah. and get targeted yes yeah. it's, it's so much easier to do the advertising and mm-hmm. Kathleen and I we have a separate conversation about an hour-long conversation kind of talking bits and pieces about yeah. marketing and you know talking about ads and the way the way to see it there the way to see it yeah. to actually make it connect with people so yeah, absolutely. I'll, we'll we'll find a link for that and we'll yeah yeah we must to link to, to that it's actually on yeah. kathleen's um the musician method instagram account which yep, is um, exactly that's just at the musician method isn't it yeah that's the right handle yeah absolutely yeah, yeah and it's it's all up there you find it under um yeah the instagram live i, I think I yeah saved well, it, i think so. it's uploaded to ig yeah. tv yeah igtv so. yeah exactly um so yeah but what you say about the copy and really that de- definition as well that's so important um because i i think that yeah tone of voice it's a it's a common mistake that I see so much with classical music brands mm, that they they want to target say younger audiences but they don't necessarily know really what the audience is like and how how to speak to them and that's why for example um the classic fm social media accounts yeah. are so popular because that's a real niche and uh they they share funny memes and gifs and all sorts to do with classical music but mm-hmm. it's really popular with like a younger audience as well um but that's because they, they've managed to sort of um connect those two things you know the social media aspect and and the tone of voice as well you know you can't speak to uh say an over 60 audience in the same way that you would speak to um, an under 30 audience for example yeah. but it's about it I think the other thing to remain aware of when when we're discussing that is also about it being really authentic as well because we've all seen that kind of copy where it just sounds like someone trying to be cool and they're talking in a voice that isn't theirs so yeah, um, yeah. so for example you know I, I always feel like you know I know that my voice is recognizable because because I'm Scottish Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time people will say, oh, well, do you work down here? Because I haven't lost my accent. And yeah, yeah. I think that that's a really important part of, of who I am. And, and even the thinking about a brand and whatever, you know, that's 
I'm I'm being authentic. I'm not speaking in a voice that isn't mine. Yeah, and you I think start to try and speak in an American accent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or even, you know, a sort of RP English accent or something, you know, it's, yeah. it's just not natural. And I think that people are really, really good at sensing when something's a bit off. And yeah. so, and the other thing about having your own niche as well, I think that's so important. It's very, very hard to sell something that you haven't differentiated from your competitors. Um, particularly if it's a product that's widely available, you really need to think about, okay, why is this different? And that's all, it's all very basic stuff, but sometimes it gets forgotten about. Um, so it's really important to have someone with an outside eye, you know, just, looking yeah, looking in and giving you an opinion on, um, okay, what, what do you think as a consumer? And again, that goes into market research. You know, you can very easily ask people what they think. And again, if you've got social media accounts and you're just setting something up or you're offering a new product, ask your customer base, you know, what do they think? Give them a few options. Do they like it? Which one do they like? Why do they like it? You know, offer them a discount or, you know, it's very easy to do that kind of research nowadays. So, um, yeah, so that would be my advice for starting something up, Penny. That's great. That's great. I think that's probably a nice place to wrap up. So, again. Yeah, I think it's a good place because I keep hearing these ambulances going yeah. outside my window. I'm really sorry. So, um, yeah, no, that's great. Well, thanks so much, Caleb. It's been really interesting as usual. and. Um, I hope it's been it's useful for, for the listeners. Definitely. I think there's going to be a lot of people that appreciate, one, hearing someone from a classical background. Because mm -hmm. most, I'm imagining most of my listeners are going to be more contemporary musicians. Yeah, yeah, As this absolutely. all unfolds, we, we will see. But also, yeah, um, yeah. you know, you set up a business that's still music related, but quite mm -hmm. different to where people's minds would first go. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and I think one thing for people to be aware of is that I send out all genres of musicians. We deal with all genres of music. So um, it's not just the classical background. Um, Which is also not as common in the classical world, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. There seems to be quite a big wall between classical musicians and contemporary musicians. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think, but I, I think a lot of that's true with my upbringing, the way that I was brought up listening to music as well. And um, although I don't come from a family of musicians, my dad was, uh, he is a, a really avid collector of all sorts of, he's got a really eclectic taste in music. So mm -hmm. we were brought up listening to a huge amount, a huge variety of music, and it was all equally important as long as it was good. Yeah. And I think for me, that's been something that I've always wanted to bring into my work as an adult. I don't like that kind of disconnection between, um, you know, the classical world and the other mm -hmm. other genres, because I, I feel like as much of a musician as anyone else. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, and uh, yeah, that's something that hopefully will change in, in uh, the classical industry over the next few years. I'm sure it will. Kathleen, it's been great <laughs> having you. 
and we will catch you all in the next episode.